Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome back to Blockhead, March 2019, uh, and the sound you hear um, underneath my voice is the sound of one of our three cats, uh, Betsy, uh, Betsy Jean, Roly Poly, as I affectionately nicknamed her because of her Roly Poliness. Uh, <laughs> she's taken up, uh, she's taken up residence in my, what is my makeshift recording studio here. Uh, the closet upstairs, <laughs> my wife's fabric closet, where she's got lots of fabric samples, and uh, we've got some fabric up on the walls to deaden the sound, to create, you know, a professional-sounding uh, podcasting studio. But um, try as I might to make it professional, uh, Betsy Jean uh, doesn't want to allow for that, and uh, I can't bear to uh, ask her to leave. She's too content and too happy, and... Uh, purring away, aren't <laughs> you, Betsy? She's purring away down there uh, at my feet because we have a rug on the floor, too, which is, you know, how seriously we take this. <laughs> so she's she's pretty happy, um, and I'm pretty happy to have her here with me. It's lonely in the closet <laughs> otherwise. Uh, so anyway, uh, what am I talking about um, this time? So uh, I interviewed Will Henry of Wallace the Brave. And if you know anything about uh, comics, comic strips, syndicated comic strips in the last couple of years, Will Henry's Wallace the Brave has just sort of uh, hit like a lightning bolt on uh, the GoComics.com page. And, and it's one of the few comics uh, that's been picked up for syndication. Uh, over the last few years and, uh, and apparently uh, is doing well for a strip that's just starting in syndication. It's just a year now. And it's a terrific strip. It's a wonderful strip. Uh, it's funny. It's, uh, it's a kid's strip. Uh, but it's about, you know, a world that is distinct, unique unto itself. It's, uh, it's a, I think part of the thing that's interesting about Wallace is the landscape is really, really a character in the strip. And it, it surrounds the world that Wallace and his friends and his parents live in. And it gives it a, a very rich kind of uh, feeling that I think is really distinct. And so if you haven't read it, I encourage you to seek out Wallace the Brave on the GoComics.com page. Or, better yet, give your newspaper a call, your local newspaper a call, and demand to see Wallace on the comics page. Uh, the more new voices we get on the syndicated comics page, the better. Uh, sometimes I think both the newspapers and the syndicates uh, can be a little wary of introducing new voices onto the comics page. And, and I think that's a shame because while, uh, well, here's the thing. As soon as you discontinue one strip to make room for another one, you know, you get a lot of letters to the editor 
complaining about the missing Mary Worth strip or whatever. And I understand that. So they just got to, you know, give more room to the comics. Give another page to the comics. I mean, they sell the newspaper. So let's let's demand, let's get out there. Let's let's uh, let's start a movement. Let more new comics on the comics page. An effort in futility, perhaps, uh, because, you know, newspapers are, are struggling against the tide of, of digital media. But nevertheless, hey, uh, people still enjoy a newspaper. They're still on the, the shelves. They're still, they still sell, maybe not in the numbers they used to sell. Maybe more comics would be a way of selling more papers. How's that for an original thought? Uh, what do you think, Betsy? Do you think that's a good idea? Betsy would like to see more comics on the page, and, and so would I. So anyway, if Wallace the Brave is any indication of uh, potential of syndicated comics uh, in the future, um, then we're in good hands. There's going to be a lot of wonderful new comics that could find an audience among newspaper readers and, uh, and establish, you know, a living wage for cartoonists again, which is, you know, anybody who's uh, tried to establish themselves on, uh, on the web knows how competitive that arena is and how difficult it can be and and while I admire those who have done it and done it really successfully uh, for many it's a struggle and uh, and difficult to to make a living wage and and it means that you know as Brad and I were talking in our last episode a lot of cartoonists have to find another way to support themselves than cartooning and that takes away from their attention to their craft and to their to their work and and perhaps you know um it it makes it harder for a comic strip to to develop to reach the heights you know that uh, Popeye and EC Cigar reached over the course of 10 years or Charles Schultz and Peanuts reached over the course of seven years of development you know in those first years uh I think if if there was a little more willingness to experiment uh and a little less fear comics could could really help resuscitate the print media i know i know i'm dreaming it's uh, a pie in the sky but um hey you know it's possible it's i i don't think you can lose by printing more comics that's for sure so i'd love to see new comics hit the comics page uh and betsy would too so we want to keep betsy happy and uh That's why she's here in the studio with me today, and uh, she's demanding her comics as well. Um, Anyway, this is a terrific discussion with with Will. I really enjoyed talking to him. It was was a nice opportunity to meet a new young cartoonist and and talk about his work and the development of the work. Uh, I think you'll find it really interesting. While the first... 10 minutes or so, really focus on Wallace and on Will, uh, we get into Charles Schultz and Peanuts uh, pretty quick after that. And I think one of the things in these discussions with cartoonists is is that, yeah, the conversations are going to be kind of natural, and uh, hopefully uh, they will develop of their own accord. Uh, as of yet, uh, I have some questions in my, my head, usually, regarding the influence of Schultz's work on them. But... Um, I prefer to let the discussion sort of grow naturally, and so sometimes it takes a little while before we get into Peanuts and we get into uh, Charles Schultz's work and its influence. But we get there, so hang in there. 
with Will and I. And uh, and if you're waiting to hear two cartoons talking about Charles Schultz, we do get there. So this is part one. I hope you enjoy it. I, I enjoyed the conversation. I really uh, enjoyed talking to Will and learning about Wallace the Brave and uh, the influence of Charles Schultz on a, an entirely different generation of cartoonists, which is always great to hear and to know that Schultz's work reaches across the... Uh, the generational divide and the years. And uh, part two will follow up um, in the next couple of weeks, just as I did with Brad's episode. So without further ado, here's Will Henry and myself in discussion. How you doing? I am doing great. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you to talk about uh, Wallace the Brave, which is one of the greatest strips out there right now, and <laughs> talk about all things Charles Schultz. So you've got a one-year anniversary coming up with Wallace. Is that yeah, true? I sure do, which is, uh, you know, it's kind of a wacky concept for me, but yeah, March 26th is uh, one year in print syndication. One year in print syndication. How's it going? <laughs> Dude, I love it. It's been yeah. a blast so far. It's always been a weird dream of mine to have my my comics and newspapers, even as you know, things might not be going great for newspapers. It's uh, it's been a blast for me. <laughs> well, I had so many questions come up when we start talking about newspapers because, yeah, obviously, this is a time when newspapers are in difficulty and have been for the last 10, 15 years or so. But sure. hey, they're still hanging in there. I know I still pick them up, but I will tell you, it thrills me to go to the supermarket and pick up one of our local papers and find Will Henry in there among uh, all the other uh, great cartoons that are, that are carried in the paper. All the venerable classic ones that, you know, have been the legacy strips that have been there forever. It's nice to see a breath of fresh air like Wallace the Brave in, on uh, the comics page. Dude, it, it thrills me too. And uh, hearing you say that is uh, freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank hey- you. Well, sure. Oh, it's a hey, it's a beautiful strip. You don't you don't need me to say that. It's it's uh, uh, both at the book collection. Uh, I read it online uh, most of the time, but I do pick up the the paper at least a couple times a week, and uh, it it translates you know terrific on the newspaper page as well. Even though newspapers are are having difficulty, everybody seems to love the strip. It's taken off like a rocket online. But how's it doing in print? Are you picking up papers? I, I am. I am. And to be honest with you, I don't know much about the game, as I would mm-hmm. call it. You know, uh, I'm kind of uh, learning as I go. But, you know, a- according to the, the company, Anders McMillan, it had a great launch. Not surprised. You know, in the first few months, I picked up a ton of papers. Or, you know, it was it was like a rapid growth. And then it's kind of yeah. like steadied out. But it's it's a gradual growth, which is good. It hasn't dipped yet, which right. is very exciting. Yeah, well, I wouldn't think it would. You know, we all know this is difficult to crack that market. It's difficult to take space away on the comics page from one of the legacy strips that people love. And on the other hand, I think people are excited to see something of the quality of Wallace the Brave on the page. And uh, I think it brings more readers in. Dude, I love this podcast already. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly has succeeded in the in the book. And the book is also about a year old, too, right? Uh, Wallace yeah. Brave, Volume 1, if that's what we can call it. Volume um, 1, the original. Yeah, that, um, the, the book was a really cool experience. I, you know, I... I... I honestly never thought I would see it in print or like in, in a in a bound book because it just mm-hmm. uh, 
it wasn't really on my mind. And when the publisher came came calling looking for some material for it, it I mean, again, another dream come true. You know, it was really really neat sure. to see it all perfectly bound with like an actual publisher's logo on it. Uh, yeah, instead of like Will Henry something. Studios produces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've I've been through that. It's a beautiful book. It's a great book. One of the things that uh, I first of all I love the way the comic is is reformatted. But I've always loved collections of comics. Uh, I love reading them in the paper, but just as much I I've always loved like uh, the old Peanuts paperback collections that were around when I was a kid, and I love seeing Wallace this way too. It's it really it's immersive. You know, you get into that world that you've created which is a really evocative very um whimsical lyrical kind of world uh i don't know it's not just your ordinary kid strip there's something about the world you've created this these rolling hills the the snug harbor and the, the water and the, the life on the water that's there is that part of your life too is that autobiographical in a way i, I bet it's hard to find a comic strip that isn't autobiographical, you know, to the author at some point, but mm-hmm. this one, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, those characters, I didn't create them. I just kind of observed my family uh, <laughs> and uh, put them in there and, and, and they know who they are in the strip. So I don't have to say, it, but, uh, <laughs> um, they know who they are, but yeah, uh, I, I live in Southern Rhode Island and it's, it's a it's a beautiful place and you know there are houses on stilts and you look out and there's you know little islands and um there are really houses on stilts wow oh yeah man i'm landlocked so i (laughs) so landlocked but bound by a river we should have our houses on stilts because it floods every now and again every five or six years we get another 500 year flood but, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but you but really the houses on stilts in wallace that's a real thing wow oh yeah i mean i i exaggerated it a little bit but um i mean kind of a, a freaky story is back in sandy uh, hurricane sandy the water levels rose to you know unprecedented heights and what you would look out to the ocean and just see houses floating in the ocean it was it was the the weirdest you know saddest thing but you would just see like houses floating in the ocean it, it, it was bizarre that is that's freaky scary the year before there was an, another hurricane and that's the year that we got flooded we're bound by a small river that's behind us called the susquehanna river and it flooded and it, it, it flooded bad enough that it came up to the first floor of the house and my wife took video of it and uh, the place looked like it was floating down a river i mean it, it looked like a houseboat the water rushing past you know it wasn't still water it was water rushing past the house it was freaky to see it was bizarre stuff yeah really scary water can be it's awesome but uh, you know it can be scary too it's a powerful force so you said that getting into the newspapers was always a a dream for you now okay i'm i've got to admit i'm like i think probably 20 years older than you or so i'm 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 getting up there but for me you know it was natural growing up uh, newspapers were a big thing that was the media that I, we grew up with long yeah. in the dark ages before the internet, there was the newspaper. And so it was a dream for me and people of my generation, but it's interesting. It was also a dream for you and, and you're a, a much younger generation than I am. So that's kind of interesting. Was that how you first encountered comics was in the newspaper or how did that dream begin? <laughs> you know, I, I hate to say it, but it, I not hate to say it, but appropriately it brings me back to peanuts. There you go. You know, how could it not? Um, you know, I, I didn't 
I didn't digest Peanuts in the newspaper. Uh, you know, Garfield was another big one. Uh, it was okay. it was the books, and uh-huh. um, you know, you read the books and and you see it in the newspaper. But I wasn't like a, uh, a devout newspaper reader where I would look for the comics every day. But I knew they were in there. It was it was more the books. Uh, the newspaper thing. I don't know. I, I did some research, and in high school, I was interested in in, in comics and. Um, in high school, you know, 2003, mm-hmm. you know, the internet was still, you know, web comics were just starting to pop up. So yeah. I, I wasn't grasping the concept being like 17 and, and you know, mm-hmm. still worrying about girls and other, you know, mm-hmm. bad <laughs> things. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and the more I learned, I found that, you know, uh, the two schools of thought that I, as I understood it were, you know, you could do the web comic and mm-hmm. sort of you know, be your own marketer, businessman, or you could be the syndicated comic strip where, you know, you, you kind of focus on the work in my opinion and let the syndicate do all the stuff. I mean, you got to pay them, but I I think it's worth it. I've always been a, um, I don't know, creative side first over business side. Yeah. Yeah, Unfortunately I'm the same. Uh, (laughs) So so are many of our peers and colleagues, I think Uh, that's a common pitfall, you know, among us, we we have the the right brain stuff. The left brain stuff falls off into the future <laughs> there somewhere. Somehow that genetic chip is missing and uh, marketing chip. Although you know there are some out there who've turned web comics around and turned it into a, a nice living for themselves. Oh, uh, sure. But yeah, you've got to do all that yourself. I tried it with a previous comic, uh, Ordinary Bill. You know, I you know printed the T-shirts and the books and I made the posters. And I went to Comic Con and listened to. Every idiot talk about whatever they want to talk about that day and tried to sell stuff. And it just, you know, it, it drained me. And I found myself worrying more about that than producing the comic strip. And that is kind of when I said, enough of that. Right. Ordinary Bill, now what's that strip about? Uh, that was just about, um, it was what I was doing in college. And oh, okay. It was about, uh, you know, my now, my now wife, you know, mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time um, mm-hmm. and our cat. And it was just. Sure. Just beer drinking and you know <laughs> college parties. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and so when did Wallace begin? So Wallace began. I mean, uh, you know, obviously in syndication, like we mentioned, was about a year ago in March. Uh, but I was working with Anders McNeil for a long time, maybe four years. Really? So what was that? Maybe 2013. Uh huh. 2014 uh-huh. around then you know casually and I, I you know t- 2014 I was really getting into uh you know working it before that it was just uh, a concept so as a concept you mean like you'd maybe done some character sketches and you hadn't really started to flesh out the strip or the the, the world of Wallace and all of that exactly yeah you know I had I had the couple characters uh, I think I did a syndication packet mm-hmm. sent it off you know, mm-hmm. waited a while and heard that they wanted a couple more. So I didn't, you know, another 24 sent it out. It was a long process, probably a year of just, you just know, back and forth, right? Just back and forth. And, you know, I don't want to say doing the minimum, but, you know, not spending. Well, I, I spent a lot of time on it, but, you know, I, I wasn't going home and, you know, doing 40 pages of character design, you know? Right, right. And then finally, last year is is when it when it happened, or last yeah. year, was it exactly last year? I mean, it was picked up by Go Comics and begun prior to that, wasn't it, or is it just last year? 
Uh, it was, yeah. I think it. I think it ran for maybe a year and a half on Go Comics before. Oh, it did. Forgive me if I'm off base here, but I, I get the feeling maybe there's a lot of Richard Thompson in there. Uh, is Richard Thompson and Cul de Sac were they? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's, you know, I, I hate to go on a tangent here, but this is uh, definitely peanuts related because when I was developing the comic, um, you know, Wallace the Brave, mm-hmm. I, I was working with Sheena Wolf at Andrews McMeal and. Um, the beginning stage is probably the first six months of really hashing out the characters and, um, you know, getting the setting, getting the tone. Uh, it was definitely cul-de-sac heavy. You know, I was really getting into cul-de-sac at the time. And, and Richard Thompson's work is obviously phenomenal. But I feel like his, you know, his humor was definitely or, you know, parts of it were, uh, you know, the kids world meets the adults world and the adults world meets the kids world. And there's a lot of like commentating on those two worlds back and forth. Yeah. And uh, my comic strip Wallace was was really heavy on that. You know, it was a lot of um, uh, the, the kids were a little bit younger and they were naive. And, you know, the parents would comment on what the kids were doing and the kids would comment about how weird the parents were. And there was a lot of that. And I kind of felt, in you know, it, it was you know, it was okay at the time, but I felt like it was lacking something. It was really uh, reserved. And then, um, you know, for for some reason, well, not for some reason, but, you know, that same year I got married. And so Anders McMeal sent me a wedding gift of, like, a bunch of books. And one of them was a Peanuts book. Really? Like the, uh, yeah, it was, like, the, the 50s and 60s. Uh-huh. And um, I remember picking it up one day and just thinking, this is the shit. <laughs> this is awesome because, yeah. uh, you know, growing up for me, Peanuts, it was in like the late 90s. You know, uh, Schultz, his characters had penetrated my world beyond the strip, you know. So mm-hmm. the version of Snoopy I saw, I knew. The version of Charlie Brown, I knew. Mm-hmm. All the characters had been so hashed out and and had penetrated my world and, and you know, film uh you know merchandise that i i had like a i don't know a preconceived notion of what i was reading and then when i jumped back to these like 50s and 60s uh peanuts it blew my mind man it was you know snoopy was on all, on all fours and you know oh yeah i feel like schultz was still trying to like hash out the characters there was there was a rawness to it and uh-huh. what i took away from peanuts that i tried to infuse in um wallace the brave was there was like this lawlessness with the children, you know, there were no adults and there was no outside influence. than these kids world, like a, like a Lord of the flies kind of thing. I know it's kind of uh-huh. extreme for, you know, peanuts, but it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, the gang of kids with no boundaries. And uh-huh. I loved that. So as I developed Wallace, I found that uh, what kind of clicked for me was, having more of uh, a kid on kid interaction as opposed to a kid on adult interaction. Right. And uh, that was, that was straight from peanuts. I mean, obviously there's a long list of things, but I remember that moment of thinking like, I like how free these kids are. I mean, uh, Calvin and Hobbes has influenced me too. Sure. Uh, sure. But I feel the one thing that um, I didn't dig about that strip was the, uh, I felt like the the kids were living in the adults' world and mm-hmm. having to live up to that world. I mean, obviously there's mm-hmm. fantasy, but uh, you know they're living in the adults' world. I find like Peanuts 
it's the kids' world, you know? It's yeah. their world, and I wanted that in Wallace. I wanted the world to be – I wanted the kids to own it. That's really interesting uh, that you say that, and and it's a really interesting observation. I I like what you're saying there about uh, you know well uh, on the one hand thinking of you know Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and in, in Lord of the Flies is kind of a frightening thought, but <laughs> uh, you know on the other hand it, they are. I mean that's one of the things that always appealed to me about the strip as a kid. Uh, was the fact that there were no adults around. This was, and maybe that's what it is that reaches, you know, kids as kids and adults as adults. Because what Schultz has got going on in there, he's got children who ostensibly on the surface do a lot of childlike things. You know, yeah. Lucy stares at a bug, uh, you know, when she she's little. Um, Charlie Brown's always trying to kick the football or fly the kite. And these are like, you know, kid things. Linus is hanging on to that security blanket. But at the same time, what's interesting is Schultz finds this place where the kids are kids, but they're also adults. They stand in for adults in a way. You know, they get involved in, we're talking about psychology, we're talking about you know, neuroses, all of the issues that Charlie Brown faces, the unrequited love. Those are adult issues, and it's really kind of interesting the way Schultz and Peanuts skirt that line between the adult and the childlike. And I think in part of it's because there's no adults in the strip visually. Anyway, the adults are built into these kids and, um, it's kind of an interesting, uh, dichotomy in a way, um, to think about. But so I find it interesting. One of the things that I noticed, you know, when I, while I'm reading Wallace, uh, versus reading Charlie Brown is that is exactly that difference. Like, yes, they're both, kids in a kid's world. And I really think that's a great way of, of describing what you're doing. I also feel like your kids in a lot of ways are, it's like, um, it brings me back to a lot of those things that we used to do as kids. I don't know if, if I feel like they, they behave as adults in the same way Charlie Brown's uh, or Charlie Schultz, uh, characters doing peanuts. Do you feel that? Or is that something that you recognize or, or is that off base? No, you, you, you are on point, and I've, I've kind of, uh, I don't want to say, I struggled with that, because I, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to make them too grown up. You know, again, like that Richard Thompson influence, where the kids are nothing but kids, you know, there's no, yeah. there's a lot of... Uh, Little Alice, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Schultz has some really deep issues, I mean, for, yeah. for kids to, to handle, and... Um, I don't even know if I had the maturity to handle those things, so well, that's why they're and, not in my strip. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, as a kid reading the strip, and I started reading the strip, I think probably anybody who listens to the podcast has heard me say it ad nauseum now, but I started le- reading the list when I, the strip when I was like uh, five years old, yeah. uh, 1965. And it's in a lot of ways, that's how I learned to read, was reading you know Charlie Brown books, which in those days, it was the height of Peanuts popularity, so they were floating around the neighborhood. I don't know how they always kind of ended up in my house and somebody else's house, you'd go to somebody else's house and they'd be trading them back and forth and stuff. So they appealed to me as a kid, but they continued to appeal to me as I read them again when I was a teenager and I was an early adult and I'm, I'm like 40 years old and I'm sitting there reading peanuts books and they're still appealing to me, you know, that's the magic. That's the magic, man. (laughs) Yep. It is the magic. And I don't know how, how 
you know, you're right. Schultz had a lot of issues and he had a lot of, you know, uh, Brad Perry, who was on last time, was talking about how Schultz had this anger inside of him, which seems to fuel that strip. And I think one of the things that's different about your strip versus Schultz's is, is that issue, too. Schultz had a lot of, um, I think, maybe repressed anger in, in, as Brad would say, the Minnesota way. But <laughs> I don't get that anger from you. I get I get uh, a very lyrical, gentle kind of love of a life, a love of all of these, um, you know, these endeavors, this fantasy world that Wallace creates, but all of the things that also kids get into, like finding a snake in the, in the boy's bathroom, you know, um, I love that little episode and that's so typical and it brings me right back and I find it both nostalgic and charming and funny and in a very different way, you know, but I don't get that anger that Schultz has got. Don't worry, I have issues. <laughs> I got issues to feel some things. Don't worry. <laughs> we don't have to worry. Wallace is going to go on a long time and find his neurosis. <laughs> walk about through South County or whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned um, nostalgia because, uh, you know, again, when I was revisiting these, um, you know, 50s, 60s peanuts. Uh, Aren't those you great? Know, I, you know, and I felt a sense of, you know, there was nostalgia for me, which is weird because I didn't grow up in that time. You know, that's well before me, mm-hmm. but it was recognizable. And it's amazing that, you know, you could write something, you know, 70 years ago yeah. and have it still be recognizable today. I, I, it's obviously you've, you've taken something and boiled it down to its core and, and, you know, simplified it in a way that is universal in time. Yeah. Yeah, he does that. And and it really happens. You know, I've okay, I'm running this podcast and I'm I'm obviously a peanuts freak, but I've been I've been really studying how the strip develops because, you know, as cartoonists, I think it's interesting that you mentioned it. I'm a, I, I'm like in this place, too, where I'm developing things and uh, even at my advanced age. And um, I go back and look at peanuts between 50 and 57. And it's amazing the changes that happen. But it's also quite um, daunting because it takes seven years before yeah. peanuts is really solidified into peanuts. And, and it's not until like 1960 that, that, uh, or so somewhere in there that Snoopy's actually walking on two feet, you know, he, and he always gets down on all fours at some point or another throughout the early sixties. I don't remember when it is that he finally stands up and, and that's it. He's not walking on four feet anymore, but it takes a long time. Why did I start talking about this? I forget where we were. We were well, I got yeah. lost. I think, um, I mean, the last episode you were talking to Brad Perry about how, you know, nowadays when you put a comic out there, it's got to kick immediately or, you know, you're kicked, you kicked off the page, you know, you think about Schultz where, uh, you know, Peppermint Patty's a staple in that comic. When did she appear? You know, it took him how long to to get that character out there? 66, 16 years. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that that is sort of a bizarre concept to nowadays because, uh. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know when we released Wallace the Brave, it was it was pretty polished. And, yeah, uh, it's very, very fully cooked, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and it, it took a long time to get there, which was nice Took you know, four years of behind the curtain. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's kind of what it takes now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's nice that they gave you that time. And I, ha- I have to say it is fully cooked. And uh, one of the things that relationships between the characters, you know, uh, really have gelled there. It's, it's beautiful the way they play off of each other, the way you have Amelia, who is this really, you know, kind of um, tomboyish, if I can use that phrase. Sure. 
um, you know, character who's really kind of tough. And, and then you have Spud, who's much more like I was, you know, kind of bookish <laughs> and afraid of creepy crawly things. And and then you have Wallace, who who is like all boy and all, you know, he, he's head first into stuff. And um, and then the parents, too, you know, it's it plus. You know, you were talking about the universality of um, of Schultz's suburban world, and yeah. I recognized my home in that. And it's interesting because the suburbs, in a ge- in general, um, you know, I don't live in the suburbs anymore, uh, but uh, I live well outside of them. But from what I can see driving through them, um, the suburbs haven't changed all that much. So there's a kind of recognizable quality there, you know, that'll always be there as long as they're the, you know, the suburbs haven't been leveled, you know, yeah. uh, like you know, global warming or something. But, um, when I look at Wallace, uh, I also feel like there's a timelessness to the world that Wallace inhabits, you know, uh, in the science, same way there's a timelessness about, I mean, Schultz will always be 20th, century modern america that kind of thing wallace uh has a has that as well but it also feels timeless in the sense that snug harbor is this beautiful lyrical landscape uh that's there that's very distinct and very unique to itself doesn't remind me of any place i've ever lived but at the same time it's both fantasy land and and very real yeah you know that's Thank you. That's how I wanted to look. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you did. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you sit down to draw, now it's interesting. Obviously, you've got a love of pen and ink. That's that's what one of the things that comes across in your drawing. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Are you penciling first and then just and then inking, or are you just going for it? <laughs> you know, uh, the first year I was penciling everything so meticulously, every little like you know swoop of the wind and you know expression mm-hmm. of the face i was doing it all like almost as if it was pen and now it's a little more free you know i've kind of gotten to know the characters enough where i can you know mm-hmm. uh just ink without that much pencils and i and i think you mentioned uh schultz was doing that with um he was just just drawing the expressions and keeping it real loose to kind of let the pen do the talking. Well, I, I certainly get that impression from the, the artist edition, which I, I, I picked up uh, recently. And uh, I was, I was just bowled over, you know, by how f- little pencil work there was evident yeah. you know, strips. I think by the, by the last 10 years or so, the last, you know, the period that everybody calls the shaky line period, you know, yeah. uh, later in his life when his health turned, uh, it, I think by then he was just pretty much drawn at freehand. And that's just, to me, that's just amazing. You know, that, that, cause when I sit down to do compositions, I'm always like futzing around, you know, this <laughs> I don't like the way that looks. She's got to look this way. And, you know, and, and yep. Schultz was just like knocking it out all the time, uh, with that same, you know, pen point that he used over and over and over again. And I love it. The squiggly lines are, I mean, I know he kind of got some, did he get criticism for that? Like later on? I mean, I, I think it's beautiful. I do too. And, and uh, there are people who do critic critique it. I don't, I don't listen to those people, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I'm not going to have them on the show. That's right. They're barred from blockhead. Uh, <laughs> they'll never be blockheads. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I love it too. I love the, the, you know, the Mark, and the hallmark of, of his hand is just so meaningful. And, uh, yeah. 
and rich, you know, you couldn't have anybody else. But one of the things that just, you know, as you were saying, one of the things you notice in the early work is there was a kind of deliberateness to his inking and his drawing. Oh, yeah. That becomes much more relaxed over the years. I mean, in the 50s or, you know, his mm-hmm. first couple of years, maybe, at least mm-hmm. what I noticed, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a historian, but it looked like the line weight was a little heavier and it looked like it was a little more, uh, not as relaxed. And then as he kind of moved into the 60s, it looked like the... I don't know. He switched pens or something like that, but the yes. the, the line weight is is you know a touch sketchier, a touch yeah. you know not as thick, a little thinner, and right. uh, I, you know they both work. You know yeah. the guy yeah. evolved. Yeah, exactly. He evolved, and the strip evolved, and and the characters evolved, and and uh, in such a marvelous way, and such a slow way. You know, it was such a natural development. You know, mm. one the way the characters develop. So um, I, that brings up a, a thought. Um, so do you have favorite characters in Peanuts? And, and is there, um, I mean, do you, any way in which that those characters have impacted Wallace or your work in any way or the way you think about characters? Uh, I mean, I, who doesn't love Snoopy? I mean, yeah, if, you right? can't, if you don't say Snoopy, you know, you're probably some weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Snoopy, uh, Snoopy is great. Um, he is my favorite, but uh, you know who's a close second? Woodstock. I love Woodstock. Woodstock. Really? I, 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 I love characters that, that don't speak. I don't know why. I just think huh? it's so uh, effective when you can get a point across with no words. I mean, obviously he had the, the, the little hash marks, yeah. but uh, Woodstock was great, and I kind of interpret I mean, I, I have a, you know, all-observing seagull in my comics. Yes, it's just, right. It's, I didn't develop the seagull with Woodstock in mind. It kind of just happened naturally. And then I look back and like, oh, this has already been done. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, but I never really made that connection uh, because the seagull is distinct enough a bird. And, you know, Woodstock is a fairly abstract looking bird, you know. Uh, At least and, in the later years. I mean, I think, yeah. I don't know if it was Woodstock or not, but the birds in the, in the beginning were pretty uh, detailed. Pretty- Pretty naturalistic. Well, you know, I think that he didn't include, you know, Woodstock as a character per se uh, early on until he there was a someplace where he said, you know, I didn't want to include the birds as regular characters until I came up with a drawing that was right, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it took him a while, but, um, but I love your seagull and I didn't make that connection, but before, but yeah, there it is. Right. The seagull is there and, uh, and that's Woodstock. Wow. Or it's, you know, and it was to- totally unintentional, but I'm, you know, maybe it was like in my subconscious seeping out onto the comics page. I don't know. You know, there's a thing about animals in comics, uh, in comic strips that's, I know it's a cliche to see the talking animal or the thinking animal or, or animals anthropomorphized, you know, (laughs) Snoopy and Woodstock both kind of are, and all those little Woodstocks that travel along with Snoopy. But, um, it, it, it's, it's, there's something about that relationship that's so important and, and it's so great, you know, to incorporate to see animals incorporated, you know, in a comic like that. And uh, maybe, who knows, maybe the woods, the, the uh, seagull is going to develop a personality like Snoopy. Uh, who, who knows? You never <laughs> That's know. That's a good idea. <laughs> well, maybe it's not a good idea. You'll, you, you, I'll leave that to you to figure out. But uh, so Snoopy and Woodstock. Okay. They're um, good. I mean, they're yeah. obvious choices. I, I also like Schroeder. I mean, I, he's good. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, Schroeder's got his thing, right? Schroeder's a kind of Schroeder's an artist, so yeah, he's a musician. We yeah, we all kind of get him in that way, you know. Um, so uh, so we you've been talking about the fifties and sixties. So having gone back and read that, would you say, you know, I'm I'm imagining now you grew up with what the the Schultz Schultz in the eighties and nineties kind of thing. Was it around then that you were first reading Peanuts? Yeah, well, probably like, you know, early 90s was my early Peanuts 90s. wheelhouse. So you, you go back to the 50s and 60s via this book that Andrews McMeal sent to you. And and sort of it's like this was newly discovered stuff for you. Is that is that the way I'm reading it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, everybody's seen the first Charlie Brown where he walks over, you know, walks across the street. And... Right. We all know that one. We all yeah. know that one. And um I don't know. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was like teenage angst or something like that. Where I was like, I don't want to read what the old farts are doing from way back sure. when. That doesn't affect me. But uh, yeah, you know, as an adult, and you know, I get a little more serious about comics. I, I I'm trying to digest a lot of stuff that I I had never seen before, and that was just by happenstance that I that I looked it up because you know I've always loved peanuts, but I've only really known the the later years. Right. Right. And they're very like, uh, it's a very different strip in the later years. So, you know, we talked a little bit about what appealed to you in the fifties and sixties. Would you identify that as like, you know, a favorite period now in Schultz's work or yeah, yeah? I I think so. I think so. I think, uh, fifties and sixties, fifties and sixties were big, uh, in my opinion. And then I think, um, you know, the nineties were really good, but that was, Probably because I was a kid and I and I think about those comics as my first uh, introduction to the characters. Well, you know, I I've gone back. I you know, um, again on the podcast I've mentioned it a bunch of times, but I have I'm very proud of this. I have the entire Fantagraphics collection of of Peanuts books, oh, yeah. all in hardcover, some in slipcases, and, <laughs> and I've, I've read all of them all the way through. So I've read 50 years of the strip. And now for me, I was living in New York in the 90s. I was reading the New York Times all the time because that was my local paper. So there's no comics in the Times. So, you know, there you are, snob me, not reading the comics. So I missed out on a lot of the 90s. And when I got to the Fantagraphics volumes on the 90s, I was really, the 80s and the 90s, really, I was blown away at, you know, how high he had maintained the quality across you know into those 40th and 50 you know those fourth and fifth decades i mean decades amazing it's amazing you know there are moments when you know like everybody who's going to work you know across 50 years there's highs and lows right but he's remarkably consistent and then there are some high points like i think when rerun was first introduced i didn't really get into him very much but when i'm reading the volumes about in the 90s and rerun starts to become literally a a, a visual artist i'm really starting to get into that and i'm thinking wow he's really found a voice for rerun that is distinct from linus and from lucy and this is amazing he's like you know in his in nearing the 50th year and he's his stuff is still you know great and uh that that blows me away so the 90s to me were kind of a revelation in the way that uh, the 50s and 60s are a revelation to you i mean i i couldn't imagine having that extensive of a run i mean could you imagine writing comics for that long every day no, no. well you know i'll never have that chance unless i, I live into my like, <laughs> you know i'm over 100 but um <laughs> That, that's pretty amazing. I can't imagine. I, you know, I, I, I think we're very lucky that 
that we've got 50 years of peanuts to, to look at and to enjoy um, and to, to really, you know, see how the development of an artist's mind over that period of time, you can see this in increments, you know, incrementally, yeah. day by day in, in Charles <laughs> Jones, which is really amazing. Uh, and that, that brings me to another question is, okay, so now it's different, you know, in web comics, you can kind of come and go, you know, you can, yeah. a lot of times to, uh, you know, um, you can publish two, three times a week. You can, as long as you've got your audience and you keep them informed, you know, you can come and go pretty much and set your own schedule. Okay. You're working, you're working for the man now and, uh, <laughs> right. And you're in the newspapers every day and your audience demands that comic strip and you can't really take a break. So how is that? Is that, are you loving it? Is it, it like, I like the way that Schultz seemed to love it. it. It becomes a way of life. Um, or is it like, Oh my God, uh, you know, pressure every, every minute. <sighs> tell you what i couldn't do 50 years of it <laughs> <laughs> i'll start by saying that yeah, yeah, well. uh, but yeah there's there's like the pressure you know it's weird because um you know it's only been in syndication for a year so i have a lot of, i have a lot of back stock that yeah. i've been working off of and i'm slowly trying to get in the groove of uh the schedule you know i'm, yeah. I'm kind of uh i don't know it's been a weird time because a week before the comic launched, I my wife and I had our first kid. Oh, hey, congratulations. Thank you. A little baby boy. And, well, you know, uh, we've been – so there's been a little combination of that, you know, trying to figure out parenthood and um, learn the schedule of a daily comic strip. Yeah. But uh, I could get into it, man. I, I really dig it. And there's uh, – I've always been a very competitive person. And mm – -hmm. um, this is like competing with myself to see if I have the chops to do it. And, uh, uh -huh. I really enjoy it. And this like, that sounds very Charles Schultz. I got to tell you. <laughs> That's nice of you to say. Yeah. Uh, are, but, are you an ice skater also? No, no, no. Oh, for I mean, a minute. I was I, like, uh, I was wondering if ice skating was the key to success, but okay, maybe not. If it is, I'm doomed, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a giraffe on ice skates. Oh God. <laughs> but, uh, I, I can get, I, there's something about, um, you know, hitting those deadlines. That's very satisfying. I don't know why it's just mm -hmm. maybe my, my competitive, uh, you know, lust, uh, and something about hitting it and trying to do your best work. You know, that's, yeah. that's part of it too. Uh, nothing is worse than when I was doing my webcomic ordinary bill, I was trying to do three days a week and there was nothing worse than putting something out there with your stamp on it. That wasn't what you thought was your best quality. You just wanted to get it out for that day. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I've run into that problem yet with Wallace the brave. Uh, that's my, my biggest concern is, is putting out work that I'm not totally satisfied with. Uh huh. Sure. And, um, and yeah. it's, it's been remarkably consistent. I mean, uh, you know, as I go through the, the website or I go through the book, uh, you know, there's no real lows in there. It's, it's all, all pretty consistent, all, all pretty funny and, and enjoyable stuff. So, you know, whatever you're doing, you're doing right. Uh, but it, it is, um, it's kind of interesting once you get into that, even it, when you are, you know, doing a web comic and you're out there only three days a week, maybe there's still a, a pattern of living that you fall into when you're a cartoonist like that on a regular basis. And, and, uh, and it is a kind of, it's yes, it's a grind, but it's also kind of like a meditation, you know, in a way, uh, cause you, you're 
always thinking about the strip and you're working in short installments, right? And so you come up with a beginning, a middle and an end, almost very haiku like, and, uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, that's another interesting question is, is, um, you know, what drew you to the short form strip as opposed to, because, you know, comic books are so big and I'm, I'm wondering if you're a comic book fan. I know, you know, uh, Wallace's mom is a, is a comic book fan, but, um, I don't know if you are, but, uh, you know, comic books are so prevalent now. And, and ki- when kids get into comics, uh, a lot of times they're talking about superheroes and stuff like that, but you know, you've, you've been drawn to the short form. And uh, how did that happen? Was that something you were always intrigued by? Or did you have to choose between, you know, comic books and comic strips? Had you done comic books before? Or was it always the comic strip world for you? You know, it's it's always been the comic strip world in uh, creation. Um, uh-huh. But I am a comic fan. You know, I got a whole library behind me of... Uh, <laughs> Some pretty sweet gems, and um, you know, my my father was a big uh, comic collector uh, in the seventies. So okay. it's, you know, I remember going to his office uh, and just you know sitting there reading comics while he worked. I mean, that was a a cool experience for me. Sure, but it's, it's always been my on my mind. Um, I've I've always enjoyed humor, though. You know, that uh-huh. is uh, that you know, has a lot to do with it. I remember. Um, I remember being in college and I studied sculpture in college oh, okay. at the University of Connecticut. And I remember just butting heads with the teachers because, you know, humor was not to be taken seriously. You know, it <laughs> wasn't, you know, you can't create fine art with, with humor. And that just didn't rub me the right way. Uh-huh. I didn't like it. So, you know, the comic strip has always been kind of my outlet for humor, you know, besides busting my buddy's balls and all that stuff. <laughs> Wow. So that's interesting. I didn't know you, uh, you studied sculpture. That's interesting. So, uh, any sculptures around that you're, you know, that are in the, the, the house of Will Henry or, or are they all consigned to the uh, dustbin someplace? <laughs> yeah. You mean my father's garage? Oh, okay. There you go. Right. It's <laughs> no, there's, the only there's space big around. enough. That's the problem with sculpture, right? Is what was it that old line? Uh, it was a painter who said it. But sculpture is is something you back into when you're trying to look at the painting. <laughs> That's pretty, <laughs> pretty good, man, because it takes it's, a lot of room. <laughs> well, whenever you see, I studied painting uh, among other things while I was in school. So whenever painters wanted to insult a sculptor, that was that's where they <laughs> go. You know, it's, it's an old trope you pull out every now and again if you want to, you know, encourage a little brawl. But um. <laughs> Uh, I'll remember yeah. that next time we meet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, man, I love sculpture. I'm a I'm a peaceful guy. I love sculpture. I it's okay. Uh, most sculptures are bigger than I am. So, um, yeah. So uh, it's interesting that you talk about humor. Uh, I mean, there are funny artists. I have to I have to say there are a lot of funny artists once you oh, start sure. to it. You know, but but yeah, I can see how you know your instructors in school could turn you off to that because, um, you know, especially if they don't get your humor or your sense of humor or where you're coming from, I can see how that can happen. But, uh, when I was studying, you know, they turned me off comics. Like, you know, I'm doing these paintings that looked like comics and it was a big criticism of my stuff. Every time I went into the classroom, uh, you know, this looks like comic book stuff. And so then you try to beat that out of yourself because, you know, you're trying to please the teachers yeah. and, uh, that, that's unfortunate, but that's changed, you know, I'm at least where I teach anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I said in my class, they do comics. 
Okay. <laughs> and only comics. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, my uh, senior thesis for um, sculpture was me making 3D comics. <laughs> really? Yeah. Fan friggin' tastic. That's great. <laughs> Your own characters or, or some other characters? Uh, just like landscapey, cartoony um, wall reliefs, kind of like coloring book meets comics. But it's funny oh. how you mentioned that, you know, you took your painting and made it look like comics. Yeah. I took my sculptures made it look like comics. <laughs> yeah, it's, you got to find, it's, it's in, it's deeply embedded in us, you know, and it's like. You can't like shake it, it, man. You can't shake it. And it's like it was embedded in, in Charles Schultz too, you know. Of course, he grew up in the heyday of all of those great newspaper comics which is amazing because the size they had to work with was just so great and so liberating but um yeah that's all he ever wanted to be was a comic strip artist Well, Betsy's purring her approval uh, to that interview, or discussion rather, between myself and Will and I hope you enjoyed it as well Remember, part two will be showing up uh, on your podcast feed uh, in the next couple of weeks, just as I did with uh, the Brad Perry interview. Uh, Broke this up into two parts, and uh, so part two follows up, will follow up pretty soon. And uh, in the meantime, be sure to head out to your local independent bookstore and uh, order a copy of the Wallace the Brave book, Wallace the Brave Volume 1 from Andrews McMeal Publishing. Uh, came out last year. It's a terrific book. I really have enjoyed it. If you've never read Wallace, if Wallace isn't in your local paper, uh, the book is a great introduction. It's, it's really enjoyable, and it's really all-ages material. So uh, it's something that you can share with your kids, with your grandkids. Uh, it's something that you'll enjoy reading as well. Uh, if you're into comics, Wallace the Brave is sure not to disappoint. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks, uh, and we'll talk more about comics and talk more about Charles Schultz. And uh, in the meantime, be sure to go to jeffgrogan.com, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N.com to check out my own work, uh, to see what I've been up to. Um, I am in the middle of developing some new stuff that uh, keeps getting pushed back. It seems like it's taken forever before it will debut publicly, but uh, uh, we're getting there and uh, keeping our fingers crossed. Just like spring is coming, eventually my new work will debut. (laughs) I'm hoping to do some new things on the website too. I've got uh, uh, some books for sale, so check those out. Um, My art comics, uh, for those who are interested in alternative comics, uh, Lookout Monsters and Fan Dancers, see I remember the name this time, uh, are up there and for sale and uh as well as volume one and volume two of plastic baby heads from outer space uh which is it's a it's a crazy it's 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 a crazy strip i don't know how it ever got on go comics but uh i think you'll if you're into wacky kind of off the wall satire uh plastic baby heads might be for you so check that out what else do i want to try to sell you here on the podcast uh it's not really about selling stuff you know it's really about um good conversation and uh next time we'll meet up with will again and continue this good conversation and hey it's march what better way to celebrate charles schultz and peanuts than to uh go fly a kite and uh make sure you avoid the kite eating trees uh thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Thank you.